are listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene, online at bethanynaz.org. Hey, we've had a good weekend together. Um, I ran across a study uh, a while back, and it caught my attention, um, out of Cornell University, and it was talking about how people perceive themselves. And psychologists are saying that some people live with this um, illusion of superiority, Okay. Uh, The truth is, what they discovered is that 70% of people in America today tend to kind of overrate themselves um, in in whatever area of life you might imagine. And so 70% of the people in America today would say, I'm better than most. And you would say, what? And really the answer is about most anything. So when it comes to parenting, 70% of Americans say, I'm probably better than most at parenting, okay? Okay. Or when it comes to intelligence, 70% of Americans would say, I'm smarter than most Americans. Or when it comes to something like driving, okay, uh, I'm better than most drivers. How many of you would agree with that? You would say, uh, when it comes to my job, the way I perform at my work, I'm better than most. In fact, they discovered that underachievers tend to really overrate themselves. But ace performers tend to underrate themselves. It's called an illusion of superiority. And so I'm reading it, and I'm kind of thinking to myself, um, people are kind of crazy, aren't they? They all think they're better than they are. And then I decided to ask myself a few of the questions. The Holy Spirit began to nudge me. And and I began to ask myself, so how would I see myself? What would I give myself on a scale of 1 to 10 in parenting? I would say, well, I'm definitely not below a 7, right? And, and then I thought, okay, what about, you know, intelligence? Well, I'm not the sharpest knife in the drawer, but I'm, I'm definitely, you know, above a seven, I would think, when I think about everybody else. And, and, uh, and even on driving, I thought, you know, I'm probably above a seven, which we know that's not true. And, and then when I got to things like in, in my work, in my job, in, in my career, I, I think I'm a, above a seven. I continued to read, and here's what it actually said. Most people would rate themselves at seven or higher in every question and every area they're asked. Yeah. So would you give yourself a seven when it comes to most of those things or higher? So we've been here at a marriage conference, right? And we've been hanging out together for the last couple of days. And so why don't we just go there? Uh, Why don't we just talk about that a little bit? Why don't we just ask you? Uh, as far as the way you perform as a spouse on a scale of 1 to 10, what rating would you give yourself? And maybe after you get that number in your mind, I should ask you to give your spouse a number. You ready? How many of you in the room would say, I just gave myself a higher number than I gave my spouse? You probably shouldn't admit that if you did probably dangerous. I wonder how many people in the room are thinking to yourself right now, you know, truth, truth being told, my spouse has it actually pretty good because I'm better than most. I'm at least a seven. I might be a solid eight. And on a good day, I might even be a nine, you know, I, I, I think it's easy to compare ourselves and say things like, well, I'm better than my brother-in-law is. He knows nothing about married life, you know, or a sister-in-law. Let me just challenge you with a question, okay? What if that's not the goal? You say, what do you you mean? 
I mean, what if that's not the goal? What, what if what's not the goal? What if, what if being married, the goal is not to be better than most? Or what if the goal is, is not like I'm just going to try to be better than some people who aren't very good at it? But what if it, when it comes to your marriage relationship, you begin to think rather in these terms? Have I not told you <laughs> that, that, that I have died? I mean, the old me is gone. And I have been raised with Christ to this new life. I share in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, my Lord. And I'm not who I used to be. I don't think like I used to think, and I don't talk like I used to talk, and I don't live like I used to live, and I don't behave like I used to behave, and I don't function in relationships like I used to function in relationships, and I certainly do not treat my spouse like I used to treat my spouse. The person I used to be is gone. And I now participate in the resurrection of Jesus. I have been raised to this new life with Him. It's like I have been born all over again. I am a new me. And my goal is not to function in my marriage relationship just a little better than everybody else. My goal in this new life in Jesus is to be like Jesus in my relationships with everybody, including my spouse. I got one amen out of that whole deal right there. I think here's what I have to ask you. Do you really believe that you have been raised with Christ to a new life? You believe with all of your heart. Rick Harvey, let me tell you something, man. <laughs> I am not who I used to be. I have been raised to a new life in Jesus. I'm a new person. I think differently. I talk differently. I act differently. I live differently. I treat relationships differently. And I treat my spouse differently. Because it seems to me that the Apostle Paul in all of his writings spent a lot of time reminding people of this truth. Over and over again, he said these words, you have been raised with Christ to a new life. You share in His resurrection. The old you has died and the new you has been raised to this life in Jesus. And it seems to me that all through the Apostle Paul's writings, and we'll see it again in a moment, that he tried to say to people, you've got to lean in and live into this life that you've been raised to. And so let me take you to Colossians, okay? If you have your Bible, open it to chapter 3. I'm going to begin in the middle of the chapter, only going to read a couple of verses, but in a moment we'll summarize the whole chapter, all right? Paul is writing to some people that he has never met before. They are part of a church that he did not plant. Epaphras planted the church, later goes back to visit these believers, then goes to the prison to visit Paul where he is incarcerated because of his sharing his faith, his inability to keep his mouth shut about Jesus. And so Paul says, let me write them a letter and try to encourage them. 
And so what he does in this letter is he talks about the fact that you have been, when he gets to chapter 3, raised to this new life in Christ. And so let me read you two verses. And in a moment, I'll summarize the whole chapter for you, okay? Therefore, he says, as God's chosen people, we're talking about identity here, right? If you are in Christ, God's chosen people, holy. The word holy is not related as much here to behavior as it is to the fact that you are sacred because God has chosen you. Okay? God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved. I wish there was some way today that I could convince you how much God loves you and I'm going to try with everything I have in me. Clothe yourselves. So the old person that you used to be, you've taken off all of those practices. So now put on these new practices. Clothe yourselves with compassion and kindness and humility. You, you really don't know that much. Admit that you don't know that much. Be gentle. Patience. Bear with each other. Forgive one another. I'm going to hold here for a minute and just say it could be that even in these moments, God, by the power of His Holy Spirit, right now is speaking to many of us through His Word. And right now we're thinking about our own lives. And we're asking the question, am I really living into this life where I have been raised with Christ? When I think about the world I live in today, when I think about the division, when I think about attitudes that I see, when I think about words that people use that have such a sharp, sharp edge, Paul says, not, not you guys. You don't talk like that. You don't live like that. You don't act like that. You've been raised to this new life in Christ, and you're going to clothe yourselves with compassion. You're going to be kind in all of your words, in all of your actions. I'm talking about humility. You're not a know-it-all. I'm talking about gentleness and patience. You're going to bear with each other. People are going to, are going to push your buttons, but you're going to bear with them. You're going to be gentle. You're going to be patient. You're going to bear with them. You're going to forgive because there's going to be times when people need to be forgiven. Forgive one another. If any of you has grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, I mean, think about this. Put on love. This is the key to everything. Which binds them all together in perfect unity. Without love, can you really be kind? Without love, can you really be gentle? Without love, can you be compassionate? It's the virtue that makes all the other virtues a possibility. Do you understand this, this unity thing? It binds all the virtues together, but it binds all of us together. Do you realize when the church of Jesus Christ came to be, nobody had ever seen anything like it in their lives? Do you understand that they would sit down together for a common meal, Christians would, and it was slaves sitting at the same table with their masters? There were Jews sitting at the same table with Greeks. 
Nobody had ever seen anything like it before. And it was because of this. It was because of love. And the world knew they were Christian because they loved each other. They came together with all of these differences. Nobody had ever witnessed anything like this before. Look at them. They're all sitting together at one table. Slaves, masters, Jews, Greeks. We have never witnessed this in our lives. And it was love that brought them all together. I came this morning with a picture that I'm dying to show you. It's not my granddaughter. Shocker. It's a little girl whose name is Ember. Let me show you Ember's picture. Yeah. And she a doll. Ember was born a long way from here in Taiwan. When she was born, she was diagnosed with cerebral palsy. Walking is a real challenge for Ember. The parents who adopted her gave her the name Ember because there's this idea that in a piece of wood or a piece of coal, in a dying fire, you might just see a little ember. And that little ember can cause a spark that goes into a flame of love and joy and beauty and kindness. Unfortunately, the home that Ember was born into, it was not safe for her. The government stepped in and removed her. She spent years in an institution. I know she has a beautiful smile on her face, but she's traveled a long, hard road. Eventually, she was able to qualify for a foster family. That was a big deal. On the other side of the world... A couple that some of you know, Kyle and Jordan Holcomb, were praying about maybe God had given them more love and they could share it with another person. Although they had two little boys, Red and Jack, they began to pray about maybe, maybe adopting someone who, who needed some love. And so three years they had been in this journey A year ago, they got a call with a picture, and this little face was on the picture. And they said, she has special needs, so we're going to give you 48 hours to pray about it and think about it. You might want to consult a physician. And Kyle and Jordan called back and said, we're ready. That's our daughter. And so, because of COVID, it was another year until this past December when they left during the holidays, their family, their two little boys to be gone over Christmas, four weeks now because of COVID. When they traveled to Taiwan, they had to be in a hotel quarantine for two weeks. My wife Annette and I FaceTimed them in that hotel, and sure enough, they were in a hotel room just for two weeks. That's tough. And then they had another week called a health week. You understand what that is. They didn't either. Nobody does. But they had to spend another week, which was called a health week. And then finally, on the third week they were there, on Monday morning, they jumped on a high-speed train, traveled 50 minutes to a nearby city. They entered a government agency building. And then they got word that Ember 
was in the building. They had only FaceTimed to this point, sent her Christmas and birthday and all kinds of gifts, had never seen her. And they said, we realized in that moment, she's in the very building we're in. We're going to see her. And finally, the door opens to this room where there's nothing but a rug on the floor. They said, we took off our shoes, as was the custom, but somehow it felt like there were other reasons to take off our shoes that morning. And Kyle said, I remember when I saw my boys when they were born. I remember what I felt. That's my son. And he said, when I looked over across the room and I saw Ember, I had the same feeling. That's my daughter. And they said, we all sat down on the floor together. And let me show you a picture. Jordan said, I coaxed her over into my lap. And this is the first picture that was taken of the three of them together. Isn't it awesome? They got to go visit with uh, the mother. She was in prison. And uh, the parents got to have some say in who adopted Ember. And the mother said, Jordan, I thought you were pretty. And Kyle, I like the fact that you were a policeman. And the father said, the reason that I was comfortable with you is because when I saw the picture of the two of you with your boys, your boys looked happy, and we believed that you could make our daughter happy. And so here's when they showed up at the airport, Kyle's siblings and family are there to greet them, and Ember, to me, just, I'm sure, was overwhelmed. And this next picture is just one of my very favorite. It's uh, her and her new brother's. They've only been with her now two months. Jordan said to me, one of the concerns that I had was that when we got her finally to our house, it might feel like we had a guest in our home. And she said, it has never once felt like she was a guest from the first moment. She has felt like family. See, I, I got a feeling some of you are feeling warm in your hearts. You're saying, I, I'm, I'm happy for that little girl. I'm happy for the Holcombs. I'm, I'm proud of the Holcombs. But do you realize that I just told your story? Yeah. This is your story. Do you understand what I read to you a few moments ago? Like Ember, Paul says in Colossians chapter 3 that you have been chosen. God chose you. And just as we see her as precious, Paul says, and you are holy, you are sacred in God's sight. And just as she is loved by this family, Paul says, and you are dearly loved. Do you understand that God chose you, <laughs> he adopted you into his family, that you are holy in his sight, you are dearly loved by him? Do you understand who you are in Christ this morning? This is about you. And so, as he continues to say, you know, this is about you. Uh, I, I just kind of want to labor here a minute on this idea of love. What did Ember do to, to earn their love? And nothing. What have you done to earn God's love? Nothing. But you can't lose it. And it's not based on whether or not you're good this, this word in the Greek language is in the perfect participle, which means completed action. It's a settled deal. God loves you, period. It's final. You can't change that. And so as you look at the whole chapter, here, here's kind of the outline, okay? You, you've been raised to this new life in Christ. 
You've taken off the old self with all of those practices. We'll talk about them in a minute. You've put on this new self. And so live this life of love as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved. Do everything in Jesus' name, verse 15 through 17. And, and then he kind of says, and this is what it looks like. And you know where he starts that conversation? Not only in the home, but in your marriage relationship. So put on this life of love. And the very first example he gives us is what happens in your home. And the first example is not in your relationship with your kids, but in your relationship with your spouse. Start right here. This is where you live this out. Compassionate and kind and humble and gentle and patient and bearing with each other, forgiving one another, loving each other. That's where you begin. Is there an obvious point, Rick? There's an obvious point. Here's the obvious point. If you've been raised with Christ, it should be evident in your relationships. And he says, let's just talk about an important relationship, your relationship with your spouse. I was eating dinner, Annette and I, with some younger couples not long ago, and their kids were there, and they have small kids, and their kids are running and playing and going, and you know, we're just like, wow, we haven't had kids this little for a long time. Don't know if we can do it. Don't know how we did it, you know, come to think of it. And uh, one of the guys said, yeah, an older gentleman once told me when you have little kids, the days are, are, the, the days are long, but the years are short. And I said, I get it. You, you're just worn slick, you know, it's been a long day. You're taking care and rallying and challenging and keeping up with the kids. But boy, the years go by in a flash. And, and in the midst of life, you're saying, I want healthy relationships, and I want a healthy marriage. And so what Paul does is he gives us some great, great instruction, and he tells us how that comes to be in your life. I got on the elevator the other morning when I was coming into work, headed up to the third floor where our offices are, and... Um, a young man who works here got on the elevator with me. His name is Alex. He's our uh, band director. He stands right back there in our services and directs the band. And, um, and he said, hey, guess what's happening tomorrow night? And I said, what's happening tomorrow night, Alex? And he said, um, it's our first, um, oh, not, um, not marriage counseling, but uh, I said premarital counseling. He says, yeah, premarital counseling. Tomorrow night, Michaela and I, one of our singers, we have our first premarital counseling session. And I said, you're getting married in June. And he said, yeah. I said, yeah, yeah, that's premarital counseling. I said, if you're getting married in June, you don't have marital counseling until August. You got two months before you get to your marital counseling. I think about as we move toward marriage, um, we typically talk in language of, of wanting to find the right person, Right? Just want to find the right person. And I think what Paul is doing is talking about maybe becoming the right person. I think sometimes in marriage we ask questions like, did I marry the right person? And I think what Paul is talking about is maybe focus on being the right person. And so that's the journey he takes us on. 
you've taken off the old self. And I'm going to read this list. It's a terrible list with its practices of sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desire, greed, anger, rage, malice, <laughs> slander, filthy language, lying. So put, put the new self on. Compassion and kindness and humility and gentleness. Bear with one another. Be patient. Forgive one another. I was sitting right over there yesterday and one of the speakers at the conference said, I was thinking about my relationship with my wife and I knew I wasn't being the husband that I needed to be. And I was praying about it. And I felt like God said to me, How do you want a man to one day treat your daughters? He said, it got my heart. And it was as if God said to me, Tim, your wife is my daughter. When I think about my girls, Morgan and Brittany, all I want for my girls, Morgan and Brittany, when it comes to a man, is to treat them like they deserve to be treated, right? I want you to be kind. I want you to be gentle. I want you to be humble. I want you to be patient. When she's going through a hard time, buddy, I want you to be compassionate. I want you to bear with her. When she needs forgiveness, I want you to forgive her. I want you to love her. Why do we talk about bearing with one another? Because we're flawed. Because we're broken. Because we hurt one another. And so sometimes we need to forgive. Think about this. Forgive as the Lord's forgiven you. I have been forgiven more than I will ever forgive in my life. I have been forgiven far more than I will ever, ever, ever be able to forgive. And then above all, put on love. Love makes it all a possibility. You know, my wife is teaching me a lot about love. Um, Annette and I never had adult children until our children became adults. Might be similar in your life. And, and I'll be honest with you, we, we really had no experience of being parents of adult children. Somebody recently wrote a book, and, 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 and a few weeks ago, some friends recommended the book to us. And they told us the title, and then they sold us the subtitle. And, and I said, my wife could have written the book. Here, here's the book. I thought you might want to know about it. Doing Life with Your Adult Children. I love the, the subtitle, Keep Your Mouth Shut and the welcome mat out. I don't know Jim Burns. They say he's a good writer. But this has been my wife's mantra for a few years now. Many times she has said to me, Rick Harvey, don't say that. And the whole deal always has been, we're going to stay close to our girls. They're going through things like we went through when we were their age, and we're going to keep them close. And there's going to be times that we're not going to say what's on our mind. We're going to just be quiet, and we're just going to keep the welcome mat out. 
And when we go on family vacation in the summer, we're not going to miss one of them. They're all going to come with us. And we're going to be close. And we're going to sit around and we're going to laugh and we're going to talk. And we're going to be tight. And you're going to keep your mouth shut when sometimes you really want to say something because it's just not the right time. There's going to be times that we can talk about it, but there's going to be other times, Rick Harvey, where you're going to just have to say, and I've come to realize that Annette is smarter than me in this area, and I begin to take her advice, and she's helping me. And when I left my Morgan's apartment last week, after we ate dinner with her, and she said, Ricky, stand up. And I stood up, and she hugged me, and I kind of gave a half-hearted hug, you know, not thinking, and she said, hug me like you mean it. And so I squeezed Morgan really tight, and she says, I love you, Daddy. She means it. And when Brittany hugs me, and she says, Daddy, I love you so much, she means it. And a whole lot of that is because my wife has said, you know what we're going to do? We're going to love. And that's going to be the first priority. And being right is not going to be. And stating our case is not always going to be. And keeping our mouth shut is sometimes going to be the path that we take, but we're going to keep our girls close. You see, Jesus kind of just summed it all up, and he said, you want to know what the key to life is, the key to Christianity, the key to... To, to, to be in, you know, God's people, it's to love God and love your neighbor. It's just, it's just love. Put on love. Be kind. Be gentle. Be patient. Be compassionate. And be humble for heaven's sakes. You don't have all the answers. Just love. <clears throat> You may be saying, okay, I'm going to try. I'll give it a shot. You'll, you'll fail terribly. I think the real attitude is this, that um, to borrow the words of Paul, I have been crucified with Christ, and it's no longer I, but Jesus now lives in me. And I cannot live this life that God calls me to, but I believe that Jesus in me can live this life. And so the life I live, I live, as Paul said, by faith in the Son of God. And if I'm ever going to be better, it's going to be because God makes me better. It's going to be because the Jesus in me can live this life, and I'm living by faith in what He can do, not in what I can do. I get up every morning and I pray, and at some point in my prayer time, I pray for people. I feel like that... uh, As a pastor and a friend, I not only feel responsible, but I want to pray for people. But do you know who I pray for first every morning? The very first person that I pray for every morning. This is without fail. Every morning, the first person that I pray for, do you know who it is? It's Annette. Sadie calls her Nettie, and I call her Nettie half the time. But I pray, Lord, would you you bless Annette today? I pray for her emotional health. I pray for her physical health. I pray for her spiritual health. I just pray for Annette. That's where it starts. First, it's Annette. We have an event coming up that you you might want to 
pray about attending. It's a, it's a life course on marriage. There will be facilitators in the room. There will be a fantastic video curriculum by one of my favorite presenters on marriage, Andy Stanley. And there's information in your um, on the website about it, and you'll see it on the kiosk as you leave and information in the foyer today as you go. I want you to stand with me, and I want to pray for you. And I just think maybe today it's a day to focus on our families. Father, I'm so grateful that we've had a weekend to think about marriage and relationships in our life that are so important. And we realize our need of you and the only hope that we have is that the old me has died and it's not I but Christ who lives in me. And maybe the Jesus in me can help me to love like I'm called to love. That's what we pray for today. You know, I wonder today, as we end our time together, if, uh, if we might pray for families, pray for marriages. It might be that you want to pray for your kids. It might be that you want to come forward and kneel at the altars and pray as couples. It might be that you want to take the hand of your spouse where you're standing and pray together. But just pray for grace that God will let us live into this life that we have been raised to live. And so just feel free to do whatever you feel like the Lord is leading you to do. Okay? Let's sing. You have been listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene. Visit us online at BethanyNaz.org.